Good morning. I don't know if there's others that are going to trickle in. The room is warming up, thank God. Blankets are grabbed. Sometimes I get a little disturbed by the process of preparing a sermon. I was looking at Psalm 84, which we are in, and I always check, when did I preach on this last? Twelve years ago, in the first week of October. Twelve years ago. So, okay, that's, that's probably good enough reason for me to do it. Then I started looking up cross-references of things I was going to use. Every passage I looked up Last time it had been preached in was in the first week of October. Just say it. I was born in the first week of October. Thank you. Somebody cares. So, whether that has any meaning or not, I don't know. Um, I wanted to, you know, I, I'm, I'm generally a a guy who thinks too much about stuff and then I start to find it, you know, that you get a new hammer, everything looks like a nail. And uh, I'm not always sure that that I'm not just preaching my own little pleasure outings of thought. So you say every once in a while it's good to find a passage that looks like it's just encouraging, right? Just encouraging. So maybe we'll, I'll manage to encourage you by the end of this. Maybe. But years ago I was asked um, what, and I, think I mention this quite frequently because it was kind of a key moment in my um, describing the faith to people. And as I have dealt, and my wife and I have dealt with uh, counseling situations, it's a place we go back to with people that all things failure to do things that please God fail, failure to do that which has you walk in holiness and success and peace have a good marriage have a good family have a good life comes down to in my opinion you don't have to agree with this in my opinion Three things, uh, believing three things. Or you might say, having three things be true rather than believing three things. The first thing is obvious. I mean, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are still dead in your sins. I mean, that's, you aren't forgiven. It's, it's a rough go, but I'm sorry. That's why Jesus died for you, that you might be forgiven. So it has to be true in you. You're not going to succeed at peace in life, tranquility, the state that God has called uh, you to in his blessedness, unless you have bowed the knee to him and his son. The second is that you have a desire to please God. That's what we're talking about this morning in Psalm 84. The reason I'm telling you this is because it's on the list. You have a desire to please God. All sin is you having really not that desire. 
you have a desire to please yourself more than you have a desire to please God. So you get this resolved, your state of, of grace in Jesus Christ and your desire to please God. And then, because there are a lot of people who are dear believers and are really devout, and they keep running their lives into a wall. And so what's the difference? Well, they don't know where truth comes from. They're believing the guy with the slick white suit. Or they're believing somebody who they were told was important spiritually. Or they believe their feelings more than their wisdom of God. If you have a submissive knowledge to where truth comes from, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. If you have the gospel of Jesus Christ a desire to please God, and you know where to go to get the instructions, you're set, you're golden. I was, uh, I don't know what came first, I think it was that uh, my mind settled on that second point, the desire to please God. And one of the places I went naturally was uh, Psalm 73, which it was a year ago tomorrow that I preached on it so that's too soon I couldn't do Psalm 73 but I uh, was able to grab that one verse there that's on your, on your left hand side Psalm 73 25 whom have I in heaven but thee and there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides thee it's a question you should have on your plate. Where does my desire for God fit in the scheme of my desires? When the psalmist, which was Asaph, I think, yes. Psalmist Asaph writes this. He is telling you what his accounting is. There is nothing else. And when he says in heaven but these, he's talking about the gods probably. The other beings that ancient man could be picking from and it's going to be Yahweh. And on earth, there's a lot of other desires that attach ourselves, or we, we attach ourselves to. And he, when he thinks of it, there's nothing he can desire more than God. It tells us in Luke, and C.S. Lewis was talking about this on Wednesday, we were going through uh, Agape, about the hatred of parents more than, you know, if you don't hate your father and mother, ah, no one can serve two masters. He will either love one or hate the other. It's an idea of who do you turn to to serve? Who wins in the discussion? Who gets you to do the thing? If you find yourself continually falling into folly or sin, we know who gets you to do the thing. The things of this world. You do have things on earth besides God. It doesn't matter how devout you feel here, or going to a Christian conference, or singing enough whatever songs you like to sing about the faith. It's what you do. So, with that in mind, I wanted to 
step into Psalm 84, just a few pages later. And to the choir master, according to the Gittith, the Psalm of the Sons of Korah. Now somewhere a few times down the course of the page, there is the word Selah in parentheses or uh, italics. Um, we, nobody knows what this is. <clears throat> they think it's a choral instruction. Uh, it means to lift up um, uh, like you get the, all the choir voices to do a little, you know, build right there. Just so that we don't have to stop and cover that when we get there. <clears throat> How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yea, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. First thing I'd like you to ask is the question of, is my desire to please God? And I don't... This is one of those passages where a pastor of a small church who has a building that's a small building, but it's still not filled, a lot of empty pew per You know, they use this passage to start trying to slowly turn your mind. The pastor is trying to get us to bring our friends to church. My yearning for the courts of the Lord. These are not the courts of the Lord. We can't even keep them heated. It's not this. The temple, the church is not the temple. But you should be asking yourself, not about how often do I go to church, but do I seek the presence of the Lord, however you seek it? If you're one of those people that comes up to the pastor and says, you know, pastor, I find that I have much more religious interaction with God on the golf course than I do at church. Well, I don't doubt they do. Golf courses are Arcadian glories. If you had that kind of service in your yard, keeping your yard the way it should be, you don't never leave your yard. Closely mowed, spongy turf. Everything just right. The trees just sort of planted in little groups. Not many women. You know. <laughs> Only problem is the slacks. <laughs> People don't know how to dress on golf courses. Wherever you think God is, are you going, longing, fainting for those courts? If you think God is found more on your backpacking trips into the Bitterroots, God bless you. Is that why you want to get there? Or do you actually find that you just like your downtime and fishing? I don't mind you liking your downtime and fishing. I just want you to know whether you like your downtime and fishing more than you like the living God. Simple. Because you will serve. No one can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. Or he will hate the one and love the other. It's the, it's the rules. At some point, the downtime and the fishing is going to ask something of you that the Lord Jesus Christ did not or Jesus Christ will ask something of you that the downtime and the fishing did not. Does your soul long for
for the presence of the Lord, to be in his courts, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now, I like this this building. I'm glad we have it. It's a real blessing. It's It's not blessing us as much as you know, after the temple was built by Solomon, it was a glorious thing. Or even the tabernacle was glorious, uh, much more than this. Uh, for us as believers, we find the body of Christ, the presence of the other believers, sitting around a dinner table in your home with your believing friends, um, finding yourselves discussing the things of God. We had a bunch of people drop by every night. But last night, we were talking about, I feel we were talking about how awful rap music is. I think that was, actually everyone was trying to tell me how wonderful it was. I was holding fast. But we were talking about a lot of different things spiritually, just to be in the company of believers. The ones we didn't necessarily agree with each other. But you are the courts of the Lord. Far more than this is the courts of the Lord. When you see the Lord present in your fellow believers and you run into them outside of Bootsers and you say, let's have some coffee, or wherever you are, you're having this moment that the soul, you want to check to see if your soul longs for this. Does it faint for this? How lovely is the actual Christian experience, not the church's Christian experience, because they'd like to have you define it their way so they could get more things out of you. But what you think the religion is, and where your God is, are you yearning for that? Or is that your, just your excuse that you give to people who have a different standard so that you don't have to do what they say? You want to have something plausible that you can bring up. Well, I really, I really get my fellowship with uh, something like the Drums Club or something like that. Is it really where God is making his presence dwell? Do you faint for that for some reason? Now, the psalmist here, this is the sons of Korah rather than Asaph, even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at thy altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in thy house, ever singing thy praise, Selah. The birds. It's a great image because anybody who has builded a place realizes that if it ain't bees' nests, it's birds' nests. Shoved up. We, last few years, the robins, may their names be blotted out, have thought that the level spot above our front door on the lintel is the perfect place for a nest. And so for the springtime, every time you open the door, there's little pieces of straw falling down on your head, and you wonder why, or the sudden flurry of wings. Leslie finally figured it out, and she would have none of this. So down came the nest, and she put um, blockages up. 
Well, on the temple in Jerusalem, at least we know it's true of Herod's temple. Uh, when Herod's temple was built just before Christ, on the, on the sanctuary, they had sharpened, razor-sharp rows of golden spikes. Essentially, any place a bird would care to land, their feet would fall off. It was massively sharp. And that's key because in antiquity, bird poops were just as much as modern birds. And they didn't have gantries and window washers and so forth, so they just kept the birds from doing it. But in the sons of Korah's day, Solomon's day, with the temple, he's just looking at it and going, this is just great. Have you ever been in Costco and found the birds? There's a, there's a few bird sparrows or something like that that have found their way into Costco, and they will live generations never knowing there's a wider world than Costco. It is their heaven. All sorts of bags of seed and all sorts of stuff, and they have nests up in the top of the warehouse. They never, ever leave. That's what these swallows are like. And the, the psalmist is writing about this going, this is, this is how we, more than just you, others think of time in the presence of the Lord, where, they, where she may lay her young. I want you to be thinking about how you feel about your religion, how high is your religion in relationship to the other things in your life? Is your religion thought of by this, in this way by others? Or is your religion so uniquely yours because you are really using it as an escape device rather than this is where God is? Because if God is where you say he is, where you want to be with him, your soul longing, fainting to be in that situation, I would hope you would be evangelistic about getting others there. And that there would be some kind of witness, like you have in this metaphor of the sparrow bringing his nests into the situation. Because blessed are those who dwell in thy house, ever singing thy praise. He gets around to winding it up and say, yeah, that's what the birds live there, and they're always singing. But you're not supposed to go, isn't it neat that the birds are blessed by living in the temple? That's not the point. But those who live in your temple, who sing your praise, are. Verse 5. And this is the verse that, well, one, I made it the memorable verse down at the bottom. It doesn't have to be memorable to you. But I, when, you, when you have a dipstick that runs into you, where, who am I? am I? Am I expecting to have the blessing, the success, the peace, the good life that God can provide if I have not provided him with a soul that desires him like I ought? This is a ways for you, handles for you to put on it and go, okay. Where is the presence of the Lord? Am I thrilled with this? Am I ever after this? Am I, is this echoed by other characters that would be representative of the, those who truly seek God? Blessed are the men whose strength is in thee, 
in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Think about that for a minute. That was, that was just grabbed me, uh, poetically. What a great image. In whose heart are the highways to Zion. The paths that get you to where you want to be in God, in his presence. You always want to know, how do I get back to there? How do I go there? What's the roadmap to there? Your understanding, we were talking um, at the big house in the discussion. I think we got into it at Drones a few weeks ago. But the nature of home and whether or not you grant this, but some of the thoughts were along the lines of um, home is the collection of localized obedience. You say, ah, man, why do you have to do that? Localized obedience? Okay, think geographic. You ever, I obeyed the illustration, we had just come back from Victoria, Leslie and I, and there's a certain point, you passed Othello, and you get to where 385 meets 12 at the rest stop. You know the rest stop. Not Washtuckna, but the rest stop. Every bit of road after the rest stop between there and here, I am very familiar with. I know the highways between that part of the world and here. I know where home is. You know what that situation is when you're no matter where, because you're familiar enough with a particular city that no matter where they put you, you know where the highways are that will take you home. That's what you have here with Zion. They're strengthened God. They are blessed because they have this state. Now look at what they do with the highways. As they go through the valley of Baca, we don't know where that is, by the way, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. These men who have the highways to where the place of God is, in their hearts, they have also prepared the way Palestine, I don't know what it was like back in 1000 BC, but it's always kind of been a dusty place. People are very conscious of watering holes. I mentioned the rest stop at just past Washtuckna. You know how you are, men, or maybe women more so, they always want to know how far to the next rest stop. And I'm, I'm grateful the highway department always puts that 92 miles to the next rest stop. You better choose now. Such thanksgiving comes across you when you see vaguely in the distance a shimmering blue sign. Not a green sign, which it just tells you how many miles to Memphis, but a blue one. Because a blue one might say two miles to a rest stop, and you had some A&W root beer about an hour ago. That's the image here. He's saying, these guys are about this way to Zion. They have in their hearts the highways to Zion. And they have prepared that way 
to make it a place of springs, a place where in antiquity you get to stop, a truck stop. Remember that when you were driving as kids, you didn't drive, your parents did. Back east, I thought my great things of my father, if he would stop at a truck stop. They're big, I don't know if you know what truck stops are. You might. Back east, they are cities. And you get to pull off, and there'd be a restaurant, and unnecessary things you could buy. Horse whips, primarily, and rubber knives, rubber tomahawks. Rest stops, springs. The path to Zion is made that the road to Zion can be walked very joyfully. It has natural pools. It becomes a place of springs that the, these guys who are maintaining it, they go from strength to strength. And the God of gods will be seen in Zion. If anything, I'd like you to save that verse 5 through 7 for yourself to think about. It's not a matter of the pastor going, do you really want to be a good enough Christian? Do you desire the things of God enough? Uh, do you desire getting together with the believers enough? Yeah, you've heard all that. I want you to think about whether or not the highways, I'm okay every time I say this, what's that phrase, highway to hell? Is that ACDC? That's what most people, my whole life is a highway to hell. Yeah, well, this is supposed to be a highway to Zion. We want to be in the presence of God. We want to have the way that this highway itself, not just Zion, the place that takes us there is taking us strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. When we used to drive in from Washington, D.C., back to Annapolis when we were kids, it was 28 miles, you know, nothing, but it seemed like forever. And you're in the station wagon, because everybody had a station wagon, and it was dark, and you didn't know where you were, because you weren't the driver, you had no sense of distance or command of the road. But there were these radio towers in Annapolis that you could see at a certain point, the little red lights. And as kids, that was our only measure of how close we were getting to home. The God of gods is seen in Zion. You're beginning to get not just his perspective, not just going to his place. You begin to see where your home is. You have an obedience of local, well, this localized obedience. You have become familiar with. You have prepared this way. You know that when a conversation of any kind comes up, you know the path that your heart goes into to think of the things of God regarding this topic. Are you going after the things that will make the journey to God more and more pleasant? A lot of the things that we can talk about um, make things less pleasant. But when you are beginning to think about it in terms of, I don't know if you've been in any conversations in the last couple of weeks about, say, something going on at the judicial appointments level, the whole nation is cutting each other's throats. 
There's an awful lot of things we can talk about there that are about the highways to Zion, making the paths straight for the Lord. Remember, that's what John the Baptist did for Christ. We're not. We're making the way to God a pleasant path. That strength to strength. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of thine anointed. I'd asked you know, earlier, how lovely is God to you? Like, what's, how, would you describe, uh, how would you describe your life in such a way that would tell you, to you, not to anyone else, you don't have to justify it to people, just you need to know. How lovely is what you believe to be your religion? How lovely is it to others? With that intervening metaphor there about the highways leading there, um, we then get a sense that God is looking at this religion too. I, I mentioned a few months ago, I forget what the passage was, but it had to do with, with uh, not thinking of our, what we're doing here as we us trying to present a religion to offer to God. That we're trying to get this religion thing worked out so we can do the right things and do the right, wear the right clothes and do the right service and do so forth to present to God. In our religion, God is making his religion in us. We're not, we're not uh, making a religion to offer him. And so his witness, is your religion lovely to God? When it says, behold our shield, O God, what what does that mean? Is that just some sort of ancient metaphor about things? Well, a little bit later, jumping ahead, um, it says the Lord God, in verse 11, the Lord God is a sun and shield. When, you, when, when God is being asked to behold your shield, he, he's asking to say, see, we hold this religion of yours. Look upon the face of thine anointed. Give, asking God to examine you. Examine yourself first. You don't want to trot this out where you haven't found out whether or not the highways in your heart lead uh, to good shopping in Spokane, or too many beers, or what do they, what do they lead to? Who are you? Then you can then you could sit up straight and say, "Okay, Lord, examine me." Like in Psalm one thirty nine, where David goes, "I know you know everything, O Lord. Why don't you examine me?" Can you do that? Hear our prayer. Give ear. Behold your religion in me. Verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Well, the psalmist is giving you a ratio. I don't think you have to go, okay, thousand one day better than a thousand anywhere else. I've been to pretty deep places. One day at church. Well, remember, it's not church. One day with the Lord. 
And he's not telling you that it's got to be a thousand to one, but you should at least check the ratio in your own sensation of your life. You built your sensations of life. You're the one who has chosen how much you're going to give to X and to Y. Ponder the ratio of your desires. When he says in verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold for those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in thee. So look at those things. Favor and honor. No good thing denied. Blessing. Now, a few Sundays ago, maybe about a month ago, it was on wisdom. I think chapter 9-ish, somewhere 8, 9 in Proverbs. And how people howl. When you, when, you, when you get it all, remember, there's other things that can happen to you besides the blessing, the success, the peace, the order of your home and life. You could have disorder in your home and life, lack of success, no peace, only chaos, sin, folly. And remember what wisdom says of those people who finally go, oh, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Come, you know, help me understand wisdom. And wisdom says, no. I'm not talking to you. Matter of fact, the only thing you're getting from me is laughing at you. Remember that. You don't just get to drive your life the way you want, run it into a wall, and have your parents' insurance pay for a new car. You don't get to do rotten things with your life and turn around and have the church have you get, fix all your damage. Or friends of yours fix all the damage. Or God step in and do a good thing for you when you did nothing to get the blessing, the favor, the honor, the good things from God. Now good things may still happen to you if you're wicked or foolish. And they happen accidentally, or that you did enough of a good, a right thing that it worked out for you in business, and now you have a lot of money. But if you want to expect the good, if you want to have a plan, it says, I, I would actually like to be doing things that would not just wait for an accident. We were talking last night about winning the lottery. I don't know if you buy lottery tickets. Hope springs eternal, great faith, gambling. And I'm not, you know, if you have a good time, have a good time. But you don't want to have that as a retirement plan. It, it does not, well, what doesn't it do? It has no assurance. Uh, John Barry, who is famous in my uh, life, uh, said, yes, somebody has to win but it doesn't have to be you. And most people who play think, it, for some reason, it has to be them. Actually, when you get things, if I work for 40 hours for an employer, 
he has to give me my paycheck or be liable to law if I don't win down at the convenience store buying a lottery ticket I can't sue them they don't have to give it to me if you want the kind of life where you say this is what is promised for this check where you stand in your desire for God does the presence of the Lord does his greatness move you to the point of fainting where you want to sing his praise. Have you ever, I don't like singing, of course, I don't like singing. Well, I know some of you can't sing, but, and some don't like singing, I got that too, but, do you say, I really wish I did because I really want to praise my God. I wish singing was not because my God needs to have me. Well then, write him some poetry. Speak of him. Declare his greatness. If you can't sing, I understand. But go home and write a short lyric poem about the greatness of your God. Because in some way, if you're checking how much you desire to be in his presence, it's going to have effect. And these things, the honor, the favor, the no good thing denied, come from everything being worked out. It says in Philippians here on the left-hand side, since I had started with that passage of Psalm 73 about this desire for God, in the Psalms, you go anywhere in the Psalms, you're going to find this expressed. I wanted a New Testament verse passage, Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as refuse, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own, based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, nowhere there did it say, and magnify my church attendance. It's Christ. It's the presence of God you are desiring. Do you desire him? Do you desire to please him? Because it's all Christ, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, to know him and the power of his resurrection and all the programs the church offers. We could throw that last part out. That's why we don't offer programs. No staff. But we have Jesus Christ. We'd hope that as a church, you're built together into Christ that you are able to seek and desire time with each other. Great to see the ladies looking for this fellowship time because it's great to see seeking Christ in each other. We want to be the kind of people that have fully desired the right thing of Christ and the right thing of our God are being built into peaceful, holy Christians who rejoice in each other's presence. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You are very, you're very good to us. And we'd ask that we would 
examine our own hearts to find if we have decided to seek other things but you. Help us do the other things well out of seeking you first. That our jobs, our families, everything would stand waiting to hear what we hear from you. That we would do those things best. Because we seek you more. In your son's name, amen.